It's Izzy. Wherever you're listening from, whatever your situation, and whatever brought you here, I'm so, so grateful that you've invested your time in listening to positive content. I truly hope you gain some valuable insights from the episode. Today, we are talking about imposter syndrome. Now, Imposter syndrome, the fact that it has syndrome, the word in it, implies that it's some kind of disorder or something that is quite rare. But in actual fact, it's far more common than maybe you realise. And so what we're going to talk about today is how common it is, which is actually one of the main tips on how to get over it by realising how common it is, and some other ways in which, by understanding it, we can maybe begin to overcome it. And also how we can recognise in our own lives where it might be showing up. Because you can't change something in your life if you can't actually identify it and become conscious of it first of all. So there might be an area in your life where you're feeling quite anxious, or you're feeling a little bit low, and actually by realising and recognising that maybe it's imposter syndrome, you might be able to overcome it and feel a bit better in that area. So first things first, what actually is imposter syndrome? Imposter syndrome is where, if we use a metaphor, you see yourself as an ant and you are seeing what you've got to do as a mountain. And of course, an ant climbing a mountain is going to struggle. It's not going to be very easy and it's going to take a long time if it ever achieves it. But in real life, it's just you with a little hill or maybe even a little bump in the road and so as a human with a small hill a small bump you can quite easily climb over that climb up and climb over the other side very easily but it's in your head that you're actually seeing yourself as something that is incapable of climbing over it and the thing that you're climbing over is far too big and a lot bigger than actually is. Now that's one side of imposter syndrome where you're feeling like you can't do something before you've even started And then the other side of imposter syndrome is the feeling of self-doubt after you've done the thing. So maybe you published a book and it hit really great success. It was really um, popular. It made loads of sales. You made loads of money from it. And you're in this new house. You're in this house that you bought with the money from the sales of the book. But you're sitting there. You've just moved in and you're sitting on the chair and you're thinking... I don't really feel like I deserve to be here. Maybe it's that what you wrote down and then eventually was published was just so intuitive that it felt like you actually didn't put hard work in. And maybe you just enjoyed the process so much that you, in your head, your ability to make money and to live in a house as amazing as it is requires hard work. And you don't feel like you put in hard work to get there. Or maybe you had a lot of help along the way. And even though the people that helped you have got a percentage of the money that you made from the sales of the book, you still don't feel like sitting in that house and all the fame that you've got from that book is really yours. And you might find it interesting that actually there are quite a lot of well-known people who experience it too. One example is actually Albert Einstein. Albert Einstein actually called himself a voluntary swindler. He didn't think that he should have got as much praise and as much recognition and as much attention for the things he created and identified as he did. He didn't think he deserved that. And the same with Maya Angelou. 
And yet their degree of excellence, the degree of excellence that those two had and the amount of contributions they made to society were incredible and extremely rare. But their feeling of almost fraudulence is surprisingly common. Now in Maria Mariah Angelou's case is, I think, I think she, she wrote a poem about this or maybe when I was studying one of her poems, we talked about this, but actually, oh, I'm sure it's a poem. Maybe I'll try and find it. But what she, what she wrote or what she said was that when she was writing, she would get an idea for something and she'd put a pen in her hand, she'd get a piece of paper and she would just let her hand make movements. And it was as though this idea had just come to her or as though it was a pigeon or whatever kind of bird it is that, uh, yeah, a homing pigeon, a pigeon that flew through the window with a letter and just planted it there in front of her as though it just came to her. It was so easy. And so with that in mind, you can understand why maybe she felt as though she didn't deserve the amount of attention and success and celebration that she got for her writing because she felt that she didn't actually come up with it. It was almost as though she'd stolen it or she was writing on behalf of someone else. And I guess that's why I've always said that if I could go back in time and say go back to the... 1980s, 1990s. Um, I can't remember when the books were published, maybe in the 1990s. If I could go back there and write, sort of have the Harry Potter uh, manuscripts and publish them as though they were my own, knowing the amount of success that I could get from them, I wouldn't do it. And I always said that the reason I wouldn't do it is because actually it would be incredibly boring. If I already knew the success, if, if I already knew that these books were going to be made into films and I already knew the actors and the actresses that were going to be part of those films, I knew, I knew the ending of the story because I didn't even have to write the story. It was there in front of me. I would be bored and I wouldn't feel fulfilled and I wouldn't feel as though I'd contributed. But actually having sort of done quite a bit of research into imposter syndrome for this um, podcast and also for my book that I'm currently writing, I actually realized that if you were to do that, that natural imposter syndrome would arise and you would feel, I guess, a sense of guilt, but a sense of not having contributed to something, I guess, almost like within some of the work that I do, where I go into schools and universities and some workplaces talking about positive psychology, we use the example of a sausage machine where you can't, what you put in at one end is in direct correlation to what you get out on the other side. So if you wanted vegetarian sausages, you wouldn't put in meat in like pork um, at the entrance to the, to the machine, right? Because that would create pork sausages. So you have to put in maybe some corn and spices and herbs and maybe a little bit of veg, onion powder and that whatnot in at one end and then you get vegetarian sausage out, sausages out. Likewise, if you wanted pork and apple sausages, you'd need to put pork and apple and some herbs in and that's what you'd get out on the other end. So if you were coming out with the Harry Potter book, or maybe coming out with um, first place in a race, but you'd actually not put in the hard work for that race, you'd just taken a drug to make yourself stronger and faster. And likewise, if you'd just stolen the manuscripts and said that they were your own, 
then you wouldn't really get out the feeling of hard work, the feeling of satisfaction, because you hadn't put in the effort to start with. I hope that makes sense. So why am I talking about sausage machines and how does this relate to imposter syndrome? Well, we almost convince ourselves that that situation, that we've stolen someone's idea or it was just potluck, that we were in the right place at the right time and all of these excuses that normally our ego gives us an excuse to pump us up. It gives us excuses um, as to why we're not in the wrong. It gives us excuses as to why we failed. It tells us that we're better than someone else. But actually in this case, imposter syndrome and that part of our brain that is giving those thoughts to us and those excuses as to why we don't deserve our success are doing the opposite. They're destroying our self-confidence as opposed to nurturing it. So what can we do about it? And before we go on to that, I want to give another example as to where this popped up in my life. A Maybe like a year and a half ago, I was working in um, a nine to five job and they wanted to put me on some courses. And so I kind of wanted to go on a communication course. I know firsthand just how powerful communication is. And if you, it doesn't matter how many qualifications you have, unless of course you're going into nursing or you want to be a surgeon or an engineer, of course the qualifications imply how much you've learned. But more than that is your ability to communicate in terms of other jobs. So I didn't want to get in to a interview situation and be able to show my qualifications, but not actually speak to the person that I was in front of in the way that they needed to speak to me. They needed me to speak to them in, right? So I went on this public speaking course or this, yeah, I guess it was a public speaking course. And it was really funny because maybe there were about a hundred of us, 70 of us, something like that. And there were many, many opportunities for us to have a go, have a go at talking about an experience or such and such using the tools that they'd given us. And quite frankly, I was too scared to put my hand up. And the guy said that um, he would pick on people even if they didn't have their um, sort of their hand up on Zoom. And so I thought, well, I don't need to put my hand up because, you know, he could still pick me anyway. But the truth is, is yes, internally I did want to be picked, but I didn't. I didn't want to show myself up in front of, especially the teacher. I really respected the teacher. Um, his name's Eric Edmeads, and he's a really wonderful guy talking about health and positive psychology and mindset um, and public speaking communication. I would thoroughly encourage you to check him out. But I didn't want to embarrass myself. And it was only a few days or weeks after that course when I realised how incredibly stupid I'd been. I was on a course to learn how to communicate better, to learn how to speak better. And yet I wasn't putting myself in a position to give it a go, to try. Everybody there was in the same boat. Yes, some people would be naturally or maybe due to having been on other courses, better public speakers. But the whole reason I was there was to improve. And yet I was too scared to try which again is the whole reason I was there to try and to learn. And this is, I think, sort of how we are in life. And again, this goes back to part A and part B of imposter syndrome. The part A before you start where you're doubting yourself already. And then part B where you're actually thinking, well, I just got praised for something that I don't think I deserved, even if you actually did. So 
I guess what I'm trying to say is whether you're in part A or part B, you will never know everything you need to know to be perfect. Your knowledge will never be adequate enough to know everything. You could get 100% on the test. You could feel like you're the best in the room. But even so, your knowledge will never, ever be as high as it could be. And that might be hard hitting to hear, but it also should help release some pressure that you're putting on yourself. So in that public speaking course, even the people who were better than me were not the best public speakers. If they were, they would not have been on the course. If you're the best at something, you don't go to a training to learn how to be better at it. And even the guy who was sharing the tips and running the course, even Eric Edmeads himself, is not a perfect public speaker. How do I know that? Because during the course, he was giving examples of where, in his life, he had not been very good. In his life, of examples where he'd messed up or been too scared. Or actually, the fact that he needs to be told right before that he's doing a public speaking gig, right? The longer he gets in advance of a public speaking gig to know that he's about to do it he's going to be doing it in a few weeks time the more stressed he is he was also saying that he the longer he gets to speak the more chilled out he is and actually if he gets given a 20 minute ted talk to do that's actually far more stressful for him than having a two hours or even a full day with people so the point of this again is that nobody has adequate enough knowledge to make you feel inferior But your ego will tell you otherwise. And another point to help you to remove that imposter syndrome that you might be feeling in terms of some area of your life. And hopefully throughout listening to this, either you're just interested in imposter syndrome or you might have actually recognized that there's an area in your life that maybe you do experience this. And if so, then I think this, I think this is a really powerful way of looking at it. Let's go back to the book example. You've written a book. You've found a, um, a, what's it called? Someone who helps you go to the publisher. An agent, a book agent, right? And then you've gone to the publisher. You've had a designer. You've had whatever you need. Um, You've had advertisement. You've got marketing people involved. And it's been really, really successful. And you're in this house feeling like you don't deserve it. You don't feel like you don't deserve it because you weren't the only person who was involved in this process. And actually, when you were editing the book, you went to the editor's house and the editor's house was nowhere near as nice as your house right now. And yet they help so many well-published authors with their books. And yet you're in a way better house than him. And you've only published one book. And the person who does the marketing, well, They help massively. You would have got no sales if it wasn't for that person. And so you start to put your success on the support of everybody else. And that actually they deserve it more than you. But the truth is, if you think about all of your achievements, that one included, there have always been people who helped you with those achievements. You haven't really achieved anything on your own. All of your achievements are due to the family, your, your, your parents or your carers that brought you up and the tools they gave you, the money they gave you, the health they gave you. It's due to your teachers and the way that they 
they inspired you or helped you to learn. It is due to everyone who's ever been in your life. And so all throughout your life, all of these achievements were the result of a team effort, even though it might feel like you alone were the people who did it, right? So you might be posting five TikToks a day and you might have been doing that for the past year, but actually who inspired you to do that? You've probably seen other creators who gave you ideas of different TikToks to do, or maybe you're a photographer and you've been on a photography course. You you know where I'm going with this. And maybe you're beginning to feel like an imposter now, realizing that it wasn't just you. It wasn't an individual effort. But the point is, is what is the common denominator in all of those successes? What is the common theme, the common thread in all of your achievements? You. Yes, people have helped. Yes, you've had support and you've had training and it was a team effort. But the one team member that existed in every single one of your achievements was you. You were the sperm (laughs) that made it to the egg and actually arrived in this world. You were the kid who showed up at school. You were the person that asked the question that led to going on that date with that guy or that girl. You were the person that gave that, put your hand up and answered that question or gave that idea in that meeting that led to your promotion. You were the person who... Start, who started scribbling on a, I don't know, a tissue. And then someone else saw it and said, you should write a book on that. And then you did. You were the common denominator in all of your successes. And I would encourage you to write that and stick it on your wall somewhere or carry it in your pocket or your wallet. You are the common denominator in all of your experiences and all of your achievements and all of your failures. So on a very separate note, ask yourself, Is your life looking the way you want it to look? And if not, you can blame other people because your life is a team effort. But the self-responsibility comes with you and ends up with you because you are the common denominator. If your health isn't the way that you want it and you're not in the right job that you want and your family life and your sex life isn't as you'd want it, if you don't live in the house that you want, if your mood and your mindset isn't where you want it to be, Yes, other people are involved in those decisions, but you are the common denominator. So maybe it's not imposter syndrome, the theme of this, but it is a subcategory. Being the common denominator in your own life is, and recognizing what that denominator and that commonality looks like will give you a good reflection of the part you have to play in this world. So If you know me at all, you will know that I cannot leave a TikTok or an Instagram, a reel, a podcast, a YouTube, a conversation without giving some kind of actionable piece of advice. Because I don't want you to be like, oh, yay, I know all about imposter syndrome now. I understand that I'm a common denominator, but how do I bring this into my life? No, I don't want you to be in that situation. So... I'm going to give you some tips. Tip number one, I want you this evening before you go to bed entirely on your own, not with anyone else in the room, or if that's not possible, then put some music on, listen to something and you'll be good to go. What I want you to do is write a list of your achievements in the last year. What have you 
managed to do in the last year? What is something that you're really, really proud of? It can be small things. I, I want to see the small things. I want to see the big things. And actually, do you know what? Let's let's make it even more challenging. Sorry, I'm on a very squeaky bench. If you can hear that, right? So in your journal, write a list of all the achievements in the last year. And I promise you, you will realize that you've made more than you realize, right? And if you are thinking to me, if you're saying, oh, I can't think of anything right now. Yes, you can. If you're saying that right now, you have got a fixed mindset. You are in a fixed mindset of, I am useless. I can't achieve anything. I am um, valueless. I'm unworthy. So let's get out of that from the get-go because that is just your ego trying to be sympathetic and prove to you that it's okay that your life, that you feel shit about your life. It's okay that you know, things aren't going as well as you want because you're, wor- you're, you're not worthy enough. And that's not true. And if you want to live in that life, then it might feel easy to be negative and to feel useless because then it means you can feel sorry for yourself. But that's not the reality. And that's certainly not the route to a successful, meaningful life. So let's push those aside. Let's get over that egoic thought process and actually write a list of achievements in the last year. If you don't want to write them, think about them. But, you know, the problem with with thinking about them is that they won't actually stick. You need to see it. So post it on your story. Post on your story the five things you are most proud of from the last year. It could be the last six months from the beginning of the year, or it could be from the 1st of July, 2021, right? So that's the first thing that I really want you to do. And I I would love it if you're listening to this to message me. You don't have to post it on your story if you don't want to. You can send it to me in a DM. You can write a review to this podcast and say, did the exercise in it massively, you know, tell me how you felt after doing it. And it might feel uncomfortable. I'm not saying it's going to feel amazing, but your ego should feel better afterwards. Right. Now, second one is just something to remember. Remember that everyone experiences imposter syndrome. If Maya Angelou and Albert Einstein, to name just two people of what I imagine are many celebrities, many, like even Elon Musk, I'm sure, gets imposter syndrome. So just remembering that it's a very common thing and that actually, just to sort of bring this up, there's this thing called pluralistic ignorance, which is the idea, the concept that internally, every single one of us is doubting ourselves. And it's not just that we're doubting ourselves, but we're also in the belief that we're alone in feeling this way. And the reason we're alone in feeling this way is because no one else is voicing their doubts, is voicing the doubt that they deserve something. And I think Personally, I think that the reason why we don't voice our imposter syndrome is because if I was to say, oh, like, do you mind if I just speak to you about something? I'm just feeling a bit rubbish because you know how I achieved that thing. You know how I, you know, did a workshop in front of 500 people and, you know, I got, you know, I, I... got loads of compliments on that video or I, you know, published a book and someone or someone came up and wanted my signature or wanted me to take a photo with them. I'm, I'm just speaking from general experiences, not my own personally, but what I imagine you could think about. If I was to then say, I, I actually don't feel like I deserve it, then in saying that, what am I asking for? What am I implying to the other person? I would feel like I was implying that I wanted them to tell me how amazing I was. But I think the point with, with this is that sharing your doubt and your imposter syndrome 
is a great strategy, but if you do it in the right way. So if you were to say what I just said, which is absolutely fine, but it it might lead to further self-doubt because you're thinking, I'm basically just asking for pity and asking for someone to big me up. But actually what you could do instead is say, do you mind if if I just get something off my chest to you? I honestly don't want you to say anything about what I what I'm about to say or you know big me up in a, in any way I just want to get out of my head what I'm thinking and what I'm thinking is that I don't deserve what I've achieved and if you're with the you know a, a very um uh, almost deep or psychological psych psychoanalytical thinking person they might then ask you questions and say well what did you actually contribute to achieving that? And then they will nudge you in the direction of actually feeling worthy and actually recognising that you do deserve your achievements. But voicing it can start to remove the pluralistic ignorance, the idea that everybody internally is doubting themselves but not voicing that because they don't believe that anyone else is experiencing it. So go away realising that everybody has imposter syndrome Um And also in speaking about it, you'll encourage other people to speak about it too and help yourself in the process. Okay, so two more. So this is actually a list of four, four different tips. First one was write a list of your achievements in the last year and share them on Instagram or TikTok or with me in your DMs if you want to. Second one, remember that everyone experiences imposter syndrome. Now the third one, when this is sort of an in the moment Um, strategy for handling imposter syndrome. Ask yourself, is this a thought or a fact? So if you think, um, I don't deserve to be with this, in this relationship, the person I'm with is too good for me. I'm punching, as the younger ones would say. If that's, sorry, if that's your thought, ask yourself, is that a fact? Like, is me thinking that I'm not good enough, this person actually a fact? And no, it's not right? A fact is something that is certain. And it is not certain that you don't deserve this person. It is not certain that you haven't contributed to, right? Do you get what I'm saying? So ask yourself, is it a thought or is it a fact? As soon as that thought pops up. And again, as I'm saying, it's a thought, it's not a fact. And maybe it's that you 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 say to someone, is this a, I want you to tell me truthfully, is this a thought that I'm thinking, is this a thought that's in my head or is it a fact? Maybe write it down on a piece of paper and you'll realize looking at it, that it's only a stupid little thought that's not even true. Anyway, on to the fourth and final strategy. What I want you to do this week is, so we've got a a strategy, a task to do today, this evening, writing the list of achievements. We've got the general idea to remember that everyone experiences imposter syndrome. And then we've got the in the moment when you're experiencing imposter syndrome to ask yourself, is this a thought of a fact? And then this strategy is something I want you to work on this week and to really hold in your mind. And that's if you get praised in any way about anything or complimented in any way, I want you to write that compliment or praise down. And especially, even more so, when you get given that praise or a compliment, I don't want you to bat it back at the person. It's not a tennis ball that you need to hit back into their court and say, thank you, but no, I don't deserve this. Um, 
it's not what it looks like. I'm not actually a tennis player. I'm just on the tennis court with my racket and the tennis gear, but I'm not actually a tennis player and I don't actually want to play a game with you because first of all, that's not very nice to them. They've said what they've said to either make you feel good or because they actually believe it. And me personally, I don't compliment people if I don't believe it. I don't say things I don't mean. So again, if you get praised or complimented for something, don't hit it back. Say thank you. And then what I want you to do is at the end of the day or at the end of the week, write down all of the compliments or praises that you received. Now, I wouldn't recommend you wait until the end of the week because we focus a lot more on the negative than the positive. And what we focus on is what we remember and what we see more of. So if you, if we naturally, like genuinely, because when we were hunter-gatherers, we were focused on finding threat and running away from it, right? We were focused on saving ourselves. We didn't, we didn't have time or the energy to focus on the good things. We ate all the berries, not because there were berries. We weren't like, oh my God, there's berries. That's amazing. I'm not going to be hungry for a while. It, it was, I've got to eat these so I don't die in the next few days. We were focused on threat and survival rather than thriving. But these days we can focus on thriving. So you are probably not going to remember the praises or compliments by the end of the week. So maybe it's in the moment, as soon as you, I mean, you could do it while the person's talking, but they might think that's a bit strange. So pop to the bathroom or just, you know, as soon as you're out of sight of that person or at the end of the day, or when you've left the room, get your notes page out and write, you know, at the top compliments and praises for the week and just start jotting them down. And then you can look back at that list at the end of the week and realize that you were actually people think a lot of you and the egoic voice, the pluralistic ignorance in the back of your head, the ego is spouting thoughts that are untrue. It's trying to make you feel unworthy so that you don't have to try as hard so that you feel safe and comfortable in your own limited space in the world. Okay. So (sighs) I feel like we've covered a lot. This has been a very in-depth podcast, um, at least in my Uh, headspace. I feel like I've learned a lot in talking about this with you guys and I really hope it helps. I tell you, it's nice to do a longer form, um, a longer form conversation, a longer form in-depth stream of advice, consciousness, yeah, teaching rather than 60 second TikToks or speaking very broadly in a workshop. So I appreciate the opportunity to do this and, you know, realize that with a lot of things I do, I probably also have imposter syndrome thinking, who am I to um, earn, be given this amount of money for only a few hours of my time in some situations with work? Who am I to be given this opportunity when there's so many people who probably could do it better than me? But I am the common denominator, and so are you. I am the person that put myself in the place to get these opportunities. I was the one that took, you know, took that leap of faith and quit my job. I am the one that contacted that person when I could have told myself that I wasn't worthy of their time. So and this is a freebie. This is a fifth tip that I've only thought of just now, a fifth strategy. Ask yourself what you would do if imposter syndrome didn't exist. What would you do if you knew that you could achieve anything? What jobs would you apply for? What chances would you take? What people would you speak to and what would you say to them? Have a think. That's five tips. That's five tips for you and I'll, I'll put them in the show notes. So I'm going to leave it there. 
I feel like there's a lot to think about. But as you know, actually, actually, before before I finish, for this has been 30, 35 minutes. We'll see. We'll see when it's edited. You've listened to 30, 35 minutes of my content, 30 minutes of me speaking. Now, I reckon you could add on another 20 seconds to this. Even while you're listening to this, as I finish up, give this podcast a little rating. Give it a little review. Honest opinion. What do you think? I would be so grateful if you could take a few seconds of your time to do that. And of course, it goes without saying, but as always, I will continue to say it. I appreciate you.